0: welcome to tell me your story new paradigms for a new world guess what we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true we're here on sundays from at 7 a.m i would never try to do a full lord have mercy 12-hour show although i know they used to do that back in the golden days of radio where djs would try to stay up as long as they could. In any event, our program is as long as 50 minutes on the radio and even longer uh, on the podcast, which I encourage you to listen to. But we also have a third time that we broadcast on this fine station. And that is, that is at, uh, let's see, Sunday at 1 a.m. That's right. Sunday at 1 a.m. And then, uh, podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many other locations. And, uh, We encourage you to listen to the podcast. We encourage you to go to our website uh, as well as our guest's website. And uh, we are going to give that information to you shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process. And if you like what we're doing and uh, it encourages you, supports you and engages you as well uh, and uh, educates you and inspires you, all of those good things, please. Please uh, do what you can to support us financially. We have a PayPal and Patreon account. And if you can help us out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have been amazed at the support we've been getting during the uh, during this period of time uh, uh, that we are referring to as the um, either the coronavirus uh, period or the COVID-19 period, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, These challenging times, these times of opportunity uh, we thank you, those who have and those who will help us. And I, I, I cannot express my gratitude and appreciation enough when it comes to that, because uh, I, I know, like everybody else, how hard it is to earn a dollar. <laughs> and so uh, for, the, for us to be able to share, uh, I support certain organizations and nonprofits, especially uh, the radio station I got my start in back in Phoenix. And um, But I thank you for, for being there and, and being supportive of what we're doing. We are going to be talking, and I always put it this way, <laughs> I can't help it, of a subject that is near and dear to my heart. You'd be wondering why transitioning or death and dying would be near and dear to my heart. No, I'm not dying, and I have no intention of leaving anytime soon. But we are going to be talking with a couple of gals who have put together a book. Uh, that is, I think, going to be really interesting. It's a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife, and it is entitled Beyond Ever After. Uh, I will say that uh, the greatest, shortest story ever written was Once Upon a Time They Lived Happily Ever After, but in this case, we still have a lot of time, so Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn montanero thank you so much for joining us here on the program all the way from the far reaches of santa barbara california how are you doing today
1: we're doing well thank you we're doing great thanks for having us
0: i am really appreciative of your being on the program today and talking about this subject as well as uh just in general the 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 things that uh life uh, throws at us and uh there is a question uh, that we'll we'll put to our listeners, What if you could have intimate conversations with the people you love who have died? What if you could speak with God? Now, my first thought, and I will start by addressing uh, uh, Catherine, um, is that I always thought that when I touched base with my, say intuition or still small voice, I was kind of talking to God. Uh, is, is there a difference from your perspective?
1: Oh, I I think that we're all have the ability to communicate with God. Um, absolutely. Uh, but what I do is a little bit different in that um, uh, God speaks back in, <laughs> in very uh, long terms, let's say. Um, and it's like a conversation with God. So um, not in any way to minimize our own direct contact, which, of course, is the most important thing. And we each have that. But what I do is a little bit more unusual than that, in that it's full dialogue. Um,
0: I mean, and, it's a conversation uh, like what we're having now, is what you're saying. Yes. Wow.
1: absolutely is. Only... Um, God is far more eloquent than I am <laughs> in that way. So, and all-knowing as you would hope and expect. So, so in other yeah. words,
0: you can't hide anything from God. So you have nothing. You don't have any choice but to tell the truth, so to speak.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's uh, the you know, in our book, Beyond Ever After: A Heart to Heart Journey Through Death in the Afterlife, there are. Um, God introductions to every session that we have um, included in our book, you know, um, and maybe it would be good for your listeners to know Jocelyn, um, know a little bit about the story in that Jocelyn's husband was dying of brain cancer, and I have this uh, unique skill set. He was in a coma for 26 days, and uh, she reached out to uh, him through me and uh, they started a dialogue. Through his death, he actually woke up from his coma and then he subsequently um, fell comatose again and, and unfortunately died. And the book is about her conversations with him throughout his uh, that dying process and beyond. And there are God introductions in there where you know God talks about life and new life and and how to hold all those kinds of things so but yes well not you it's a go ahead but it's it is it is beautiful it's poetic it's metaphorical it's direct it's it just gives us a different way to hold these concepts so
0: okay well, now, you, you used an interesting phrase, um, and I will tell you that that <laughs> my father, uh, the wise man that he is, at least that's the way I, I look at it, uh, shared a lot of great things with me, but one of them was um, this phrase, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation, because nobody gets out of this world alive. So when you say, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, Jocelyn's husband passed, from our perspective, it's unfortunate, but if it's the natural order of things in the universe, um, it's the natural order of things in the universe. And I don't mean to be trite about it by any means, uh, because I've lost some dear friends over the uh, the years myself, and it was it was heartbreaking. There's no question. Uh, but in terms of our ability to um, to to deal with these events that we face in our lives of others passing. I mean, it's like I know my dad's 89. He'll be 89 in August of 2020. I know he's not going to live forever, and neither am I. None of us do. Uh, And and it seems as though here in the West we have the hardest time dealing with uh, the transitioning of uh, a loved one, a fellow human being, who we have become attached to in whatever whatever capacity. Can you share with us a little bit about that, maybe that perspective?
1: Well, I think that that really, and that's the feedback we're receiving on the book, is that I agree with you, Richard. Death is as natural as birth, but when people are afraid because they don't know what's happening after they transition, um they, you know, they don't know, and, uh, and, and uncertainty, as we know, even in these times, the types of uncertainty that we're going through can breed, you know, discomfort and fear and sadness and all that, all those human emotions. And so um, I know from the work that I do, speaking and facilitating communication with hundreds of people who've gone on is that it's a transition it's not an end but um so and and that's what this that's what the book which shares jocelyn's experience through losing her husband and then um she uh jocelyn uh can you i love jocelyn says uh that was the next phase of my relationship with kevin so maybe jocelyn would be better to speak to that okay um
0: Jocelyn. So, well,
1: um, yes, I you know the um, and I, I when I mean there's not really a question out there. You're just talking. So um, when when Kevin was in a coma and and you know, can Richard just take a little step back and kind of give the readers a quick overview of the book so that they'll kind of understand a little better what we're talking about? Is that possible?
0: Absolutely, sure.
1: So it'll just take me, I'll, I'll try to give my, my few-minute elevator speech. Um, so uh, my husband had brain cancer, and it came back, which it always does. And he um, had surgery to remove the tumor, and in the recovery room, an artery tore in his head, and he had a massive stroke, and everything went downhill from there. And he was supposed to be home in a few days, and 26 days later, we're still at the hospital at UCLA, and he's in a coma. He's had five surgeries in 26 days, all on his brain, trying to fix whatever's wrong, and he's still not waking up. My sister had been friends with Catherine for years and had kept suggesting that I have, uh, they call them writings because she writes down the, you know, information she receives, so there's a lasting record of it. And she kept saying, you know, you should do a writing with Catherine. My sister had done many over the years and had gotten great comfort and insight from them, um, and the writings you can, um, you know, sometimes they're dialogues with just God and sometimes other people who are deceased show up, or in my case, my husband was in a coma, he showed up. Um, but, um, and I didn't want to do it because I was so mad at God. If there was a God, I wasn't a believer at that time. And I felt like if there was a God, i had been praying like crazy. My husband's getting worse. I felt like he was killing him. The last thing I you know, wanted to do was have a conversation with God or pray to God again. But my sister kept insisting, and so finally I relented, because after a month in a coma, you know, I was kind of all out of options. And so I had this uh, session, I guess I'd say, with Catherine. She was in Washington State, and I was in California, and we did it over the phone, she doesn't have to be present for it to happen. It's always available to her. And um, in this she starts with this God introduction. Then she says, I hear a man's voice. And I say, well, who is it? And my husband says, it's me, you know, Kevin. And then he tells me that he thinks he's just been in this anesthesia uh, dream, this post-anesthesia dream. He had no idea he'd been in a coma, that it has been almost a month. And so um, when he found, when I told him, when I say told him, this is all through Catherine. Catherine is, and when she says it's a dialogue, it's just like you and I are talking. It's, it's absolutely a, a dialogue. A, a regular conversation. And um, when he um, found out he wasn't just dreaming, as Catherine shared a little earlier, he said, well, look, if I'm not dreaming, I'm going to try to wake myself up out of this. And he did this very uh, smart experiment, which you can read about in our book. And during that phone session, he he started to wake up. And, um, and then he got better and he started to wake up. And then he, um, unfortunately, the cancer um, reappeared again and he, was in a coma again, and then um, Catherine came down to UCLA. We did another writing, and then we did another um, one at hospice with our kids. And the book has six complete writings in him, which are um, um, uh, four when he was alive but in a coma, and then um, um, two after he died. And um, in them, he just shares the whole experience about what's it like, how he feels when he's leaving and dying and how he's not afraid at all how he knows i'm afraid but he's not afraid in fact he he's he feels more blissed out than he's ever felt and and then we have um in the book there's also the writing after he died where he tells me what he's seen and what it's like and how he's watching us he knows all the little details about every little thing we're doing like when my son picked up the guitar and he, in the next writing, he said, God, I'm so happy that Will picked up the guitar and so happy you bought him a Martin guitar. Those are great guitars. And, and I want to say one more thing and then I'm kind of done with my little five minute, probably too long story intro. But um, the reason, the way I knew it was Kevin in the very first writing, when Catherine said, I hear a man's voice. And I said, well, who is it? And he goes, well, it's me, it's Kevin. And I thought, well, you know, and then he asked about the kids. He said, "Well, how are the kids?" and he named them by name, and he said a few other kind of general things. And I thought, you know, my sister could have told Catherine the names of my kids and some general things about me. And I'm an attorney by training, and um, so was my husband. And I just, you know, thought, okay, I need some proof here. You know, I'm a direct experience kind of a person. And so I said to Kevin, you know, what's the last thing you remember? Because I knew if he could tell me something that was personal just to me, I would know that it was really him. And what he said to me was that the last thing he remembered was getting wheeled into the surgery and reaching up and taking Linda, that's the name of the surgeon, Linda's hand and saying, thank you for doing this, Linda. And I literally, Richard, almost fell out of my chair because after the surgery, you know how the surgeons always come out and tell you how the operation went.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: to The family and she comes out. And she goes, she goes. Everything's fine. This is before the artery tore in his head. She said, you know, everything's fine. But before I get into the details, I got to tell you, your husband is just the nicest man. As we're wheeling him in, he reaches up and he grabs my hand and he says, thank you for doing this, Linda. And the only people that heard it were me and my two kids. And I never repeated it to anyone because 20 minutes later, the artery tore in his head in the recovery room. Everything went to. You know you know what and I just never thought about it again because I was in like crisis management mode but when he said that of course I remembered what the surgeon had told me and I knew in that moment I was talking to Kevin because there's no way Catherine could have known that no way at all and um, and since then of course the conversations have been so detailed I obviously know it's him and so that's basically uh, the book. And now we can, if we want to talk more about it, you kind of have the context of the whole story.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Certainly we, were, we would have gotten to that eventually. But one of the things that I find so interesting, uh, Ke- um, uh, Jocelyn, uh, is uh, I guess first I should ask, uh, uh, and again, this entire program, all the questions I ask very respectfully. Uh, how long has it been since his passing?
1: It's been six years and six years and six months. He okay. died um, September seventh, in two thousand thirteen. No, oh, wow. And um, he, he, yeah, it kind of makes me want to cry now talking about it.
0: But. I, I just was going to ask you in that regards to uh, your, I mean, you seem pretty together, as it were, telling the story, uh, and and uh, yet I would venture that. Uh, this this process of grieving, it doesn't it doesn't really end. I mean, I had a dear friend myself. My wife and I had a dear friend who lived across the street from us. And then he lost the lease on on his on the house, and so he we said, "Well, come live with us till you find another place to live," and uh, which which he did. And uh, then uh, only a month or so later, he passed away in our home. And he was a very good friend. Oh wow! And it was wow. really really uh, hard. I, and I have to tell you that. I used to hear the different stories of the emotions people would go through, and I'm thinking, "Oh, okay, sure, I'm sure that that happens." But you know, I'm I'm a pretty together kind of guy, and I remember the day after his passing, we were laying in bed, just exhausted, and I remember waking up. I don't recall ever being so angry that he would left. I mean, that the anger just overwhelmed me, and and I was actually able to be the observer at certain points along that path, um, realizing my I'm angry and wow, I'm really angry. What in the world is going on? Um, are the, the emotions you know, Richard, are still just as raw?
1: Well, you know, no, they're not. It's, it's, it's funny you say about the ang- anger because in the book, you know, a lot of the book is about, um, and this, I'm not saying like Marsha, 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 it's all about me, but, you know, when Kevin was <laughs> dying, I was, his main concern was how angry I was at God. And, mm-hmm. and, and he he kept saying, you know, death isn't a failure and I, and, and don't, this isn't a punishment to you, although it feels like that, because that's how it feels. It feels like a punishment. It feels yeah. like something has gone wrong. And I think anger is the most normal initial go-to response that people have because it's just so overwhelming. The emotion that you feel and and even six years later, you know, I I mean, writing this book, I relived all those moments over and over and over and over again, writing it and then the editing process and everything. And sometimes like just saying it, I was thinking that six and it made me feel teary. And I think it's because, you know, like now with this, you know, coronavirus, I think, God, I, I wish he was here. You know, all those things that happen, I just I just wish I mean I know I still have support, but it's not the same, you no. know, as when they're right there next yeah. to you. Well so uh, there are times that are more challenging that I just think, God, I wish he was still here. Yeah. Now you know, my, my, really here.
0: Yes, I hear you. Really here, you could hold him, touch him, hold his hand, hug him and so forth, get a hug from him and so forth. I got a yeah. text from my wife last night. Uh, now she's home. Uh, and uh, she's been asked to stay home by her employer. She's in the medical field, works in cardiology. Uh, They thought they were going to call her in for a day this week. They still might, what have you. But uh, I was in the studio taking care of some production, and I got a text, but I didn't see it till this morning, that says, I'm alone all day. How long will I be alone at night? And it was only because I was in the studio for 10, 15 minutes, doing some production. And and I'm still here. And I, of course, sure, assured her, I says you're never alone. I'm always with you, even when I'm not here. But it, it isn't the same thing. It really isn't uh, when you want that connection. Do the conversations, do they help you uh, in terms of um, moving through from day to day? Uh, at, I mean, at the very least, you have that. Is, that, is there any solace, any comfort?
1: In oh, that? Oh, of course. Okay. And, and you know that's that's why uh, one of the reasons um, we wanted to share this story and the um, writings in them is because um, you know I was don't I don't know why that I was blessed enough to cross paths with Catherine, have her share her amazing gift with me, and that I got to have this experience because I'm I mean even though she's done this for hundreds and hundreds of people it's still just a very small percentage of the people who lose somebody. You know, I, I'm, I'm very unique and lucky in that I had the the opportunity to have conversations while my husband was in a coma dying and after he died. And so I know because of all of those that I'm not really alone and that he is always with me and he does know what's happening and he is always watching and participating, you know, as he can. Mm-hmm. And there's, stuff like that in the book, too. And so, yes, it it makes me know I'm not really alone. And so I'm hoping when other people read it that they feel the same way. And even though they don't, you know, they aren't lucky enough to have the direct experience that I've had, all of us have these experiences all the time where we get kind of messages and signs from the people who have gone before us. And that is a way that they still keep in touch with us. And, but I think a lot of us miss those. And, Catherine, do you want to talk to that? Well, I would just say, um, you know, we're always connected to our loved ones. And while there's sadness and grief and, and all that's natural and, you know, we are always connected to the people we love through the portals of our heart. You know, that person that we lost lives on in our heart and that's the vehicle for us to connect with, whether you have a, someone like myself who can solidify that in a, in a more, you know, tangible way or not. Um, so, and yes, they do send us signs and we all have those experiences. And that's what we're finding with the book is people Are coming out and saying, you know, I remember when my grandmother died when I was 12, and I um, was in the kitchen and I felt her near me, and I smelled the cookies that she used to make and share with me. I mean, just all kinds of, we've all had those experiences that our mind says, what was that? You know, and we try to dismiss it. And Jocelyn mentioned the direct experience piece, and I think that when we As a connection and we have them with people who are alive you know they don't have to be dead just to feel somebody sending you a message or a love or thinking about you how many times have we all you know thought of someone from high school or you know a couple of years ago or whatever and then they call us or whatever so we have these hearts that that are amazingly um, powerful and uh, allow us to stay in contact and connection. And it's our hearts and souls that transcend when we die. Even though we lose our body, we don't lose ourselves, we don't lose who we are, and we don't lose that ability for love to reach all those places that the mind or the linear world perspective can you know, tells us that it has to be. So, um, you know, uh, and, you know, Richard, they send us signs uh, signs like, you know, um, uh, Can Roslyn I tell, the, can I tell the one in our book, Catherine? Sure. Sure. Okay. So, <clears throat> sorry to cough. Okay. After the um, um, Kevin died, he, we had a writing um, where he told me all about the death experience and what it was like where he was. And then the next day was my birthday, and he sent an unsolicited writing, which I didn't realize at the time, but Catherine gets these unsolicited messages from people who have connected through her before if they want to send send a message to someone. And so he, uh, on my birthday, the next day, he sent a message, and he told me that he was going to try to send me a sign and keep my eyes peeled. And so I was like, literally, like looking in the closet and stuff, thinking, you know, what's he going to send me? You know, some kind of sign. <laughs> and oh, I didn't know. You know, I knew I was new to all this. And so a couple of days later, I was in the living room with my kids, and I heard our two dogs. We have a Doberman Pinscher, a Doberman Great Day mix, and a German Shepherd. These dogs are huge, and they're in the backyard, and they're they're barking furiously, and they're jumping against our fence, and the fence is lunging back and forth. And there's a squirrel sitting on top of the fence, and they're trying to get the squirrel. And the squirrel is just looking at me through the window. I, I'm like, oh my, God. I look outside to see what it is. And there's a squirrel on the fence that's looking right at me like eye contact. And we're just staring at each other. And the squirrel's not moving while well. these two big dogs are trying to get it. And I even said to my kids, look, it's Kevin. I knew it was Kevin because he had this thing for squirrels. And I'd never seen a squirrel in my backyard ever. The 15 years i lived in this house before that, I'd never seen a squirrel. And I, the squirrel on the fence just looked at me for minutes. And then it just calmly walked away as the dogs are trying to make it a, you know, squirrel McNugget. And I, I knew it was a sign from him because he had this thing for squirrels. And Every time he would see a squirrel, he'd point to it, he'd put nuts out for them when we were in the mountains and he just he grew up in New Jersey so we, he missed that in California that we had all those big tall trees at least in Santa Barbara. We'd see squirrels everywhere. And then the next writing he I, he said the first thing he said he goes that was me that the, the, the squirrel was a sign from me. And I get them all the time. Like I'm in the car and I turn, I'm thinking about Kevin and I turn on the radio and the first song that comes on is Brown Eyed Girl from Van Morrison, which he always attributed to me because I have you know, brown hair and brown eyes. And just all these little things along the way that just happened, but if you pay attention to them, you'll see that the people who have gone before you, you know, they do send you little things like Catherine was saying, you walk into a room and you smell your grandmother's perfume and she's been, you know, dead for 10 years, you know, and people have those experiences all the time, but they don't really talk about them because they think, ah, it's just a coincidence and that can't really be what happened. And since we wrote this book, we put it out there on our website, um, com we invite the people readers to share their stories that are similar, and we've gotten so many stories where people say, you know, I, my my dad always loved red robins, and I was in a different part of the country, and I didn't know that he'd been in an accident, but all of a sudden, and died, there's this red robin in the winter, like, tapping on my window, and I look, and there's this robin it's just sitting there tapping the window to look at me, and then I find out, you know, 10 minutes later, my dad died. So people have these experiences all the time and we're, we're just hearing about them all. And that's the way that I know at least that he's still with me and connecting with me outside of these writings. Mm.
0: When we come back from our break, we're going to continue our conversation with our two special guests here on the program talking about this process of transitioning, <clears throat> and we're going to talk with uh, a Catherine uh, Weisenberg as well as uh, Jocelyn Montanero, and we're going to talk more about Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife. We're going to get more information about that because I know that many people are intrigued, and and I will just share with our our guests that uh for me it is um one of the one of curiosity when i hear somebody passing i want to know what the heck they're going through what are they experiencing i don't want to go with them i just want to have that experience and we'll talk a little bit about that as we continue here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world i'm richard dugan and you know i say this every every time we do these programs we'll be right back Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, hey, thanks for staying with us. Uh, We're going to have some uh, interesting conversations in the second half of our program. Uh, If you're listening to the podcast, which I hope that you will do, uh, you're going to hear a lot more because our guests, uh, who just so happen to be right here in Santa Barbara, but due to circumstances... um, On the one hand, uh, ladies, I would uh, say beyond our control, but actually they are within our control. Catherine, you'd probably be able to address that in that a lot of people uh, and I'll use the example of Mercury in retrograde as it comes as applies to uh, astrology. Most people, when they hear that phrase, uh, Catherine and Jocelyn, they go nuts. They freak out. Oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. Mercury in retrograde. And uh, over the last few years of uh, conversing with astrologers, numerologists, and so on and so forth, they're all saying, uh, no, it's a time of observance, to observe what's going on, not only within yourself, but around you. Uh, it is not, and it is a time for opportunities. And I'm wondering, uh, before we uh, jump over to Catherine, Uh, Weisenberg and uh, talk about uh, I'd like to talk about the work that she does. But uh, Jocelyn uh, Montanero, I want to ask you what kinds of, uh, I'll put it this way, opportunities, okay, have presented themselves not just in light of uh, your husband's passing, but also of your husband's uh, experience. Uh, pre-coma, coma, and then transition, and so forth. What opportunities have you been able to observe for yourself as a spiritual being going through this uh, this world earthly process?
1: Well, for me, that's a loaded question because I never really thought of myself as a spiritual being, and <laughs> um, I, um, as I shared a little earlier, I, you know, when Kevin got sick, I was um, not really a believer in. Much, I mean, I hope there was a God who doesn't and a heaven. You know, that sounded good, mm-hmm. but um, you know, <laughs> I'm a direct experience person, like I said, and but my husband was very much um, a believer, and um, but the opportunity that this is given to me really is just, of course, my personal g- growth, um, and um, because I I now know that um, that there's just that the reality we know here isn't what all there is and that there's just so much more. I mean, everything Kevin says in the book or through Catherine, he said, you know, it's all real and it's even so much more than I ever could have imagined, you know, what awaits us. And so, I mean, I think the main opportunity for me, and it's probably not an opportunity, but it's just a lens I now view life through is, um, you know, I don't fear death. And I mean, certainly I don't want to, get sick and die of the coronavirus, I'd like to stay around long enough to see my grandkids grow up and have some more and enjoy the things that this world has to offer. But I know when I die um, that, there's, that there's something else after. And so I'm not, I, I'm not worried about dying because I, don't know, I know, I'm positive that that's not the end of the road for me. And so that, the opportunity that's given me is to live life with a lot less anxiety than I did before. And I was – and I I know Catherine's going to chuckle when I say this, but um, I used to be a lot more of a control – don't laugh, Catherine – control freak. And the reason she's laughing is because apparently I still come across quite a lot like that, but I was much worse before. Um, And I have a calmness I I, I didn't have before. I'm just not worried about, like, where where I am in the universe and am I really – like, I know I'm held in such – Large loving arms that you know that are good, and and I don't um, worry about every little misstep I make. Oh my gosh, I did that. Is that going to you know karmically? What's that going to do? And this and that. I just I just accept that I'm I'm going to accept things in a yeah. way I did before. And I guess that's the most opportunity that this has provided
0: me. Okay. Well, I have and a Jocelyn, great, great, go uh, ahead
1: about what Kevin told you about you two will be reunited. Yes, and so in the first writing he had um after he died, you know, the ma- the one thing I wanted to ask him the most is I'm going to see you again because I had this fear that I had, you know, um angered a god I didn't really believe in by being angry at him. And I just thought, you know, my punishment because I'm still in this, you know, punishment mode in my head about how all this was, was that I wasn't going to get to see Kevin again. And, and he said, no, of course. I, he said, I had a long talk with God. We're going to be together again, and it's going to be as if not one second has passed, like less than a blink of an eye. And so for me, knowing I'm going to be with my husband again, um, that's really carried me through a lot of times when the days just felt really long, and I felt just... So overwhelmed trying to manage it all as a single mom by myself. I mean, when Kevin died, my son had my youngest son had just turned thirteen, and that's a really hard age to lose a dad, you know. Yeah. And um, but I know we're going to be together again.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say that I have a great grandmother <clears throat> who lived to be <clears throat> just past one hundred. Received one of those wonderful <laughs> letters from the governor at that time, congratulating wow. her on reaching a hundred. And at at her at the age of 95, uh, I took a cassette recorder and I started interviewing people uh, at her age of 95. I was interviewing uh, people at a family reunion and I used to tell them, yeah, I'm going to outlive great. uh, uh, I'm going to outlive Nana. Um, And every year that we would get together after that, I would say the same thing. And I'm saying, but she's making it really hard because she just keeps (laughs) going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. So uh, I have not quite reached the age of 60. Uh, I'm only a few months shy of it, and I still have another lifetime to live. But this is what's interesting, and I don't know if you feel this way, Jocelyn. I don't know if, Catherine, you feel this way. But for me, as much as there is still so much more for me to do that I want to do, especially in this realm of sharing with people that there are new ways of living, that that the systems that we are currently living under, have to change. They don't need to change. They're going to change. Short and simple. Uh, but if I was to step outside here today and a bus jumped up on the curb and took me out, I'm good. I'm good to go. Um, I, I, you know, as much as I want to stay, I'm not afraid either. Uh, especially some of the experiences that I have had lately. <clears throat> I was with a, a therapist or a, um, a practitioner, if you will, of what's called LBL. Life Between Lives, fascinating process out of the Newman Institute, and um, uh, it, it's, it's just really interesting, uh, the, the lessons learned through that process. But let's talk, Catherine, if I may, about the work that you do. Uh, obviously, we know that you communicate <coughs> with those who are on the other side of the veil, uh, and even those who are kind of looking at the veil going, should I go through? Should I not go through uh, who are in these in these states of limbo, so to speak. Um, When did this uh, when did you realize that you had this quite unique and incredible ability? And I say it that way because of what you have, I believe, have given to to Jocelyn in terms of uh, her her now ability to understand and cope with and deal with and and live with. Um, what she is living with.
1: Well, for me, um, you know, God's cosmic joke is when this emerged, I was in graduate school studying communication. Ah. So I was at UCSB studying communication, being trained to be a good social science researcher. And uh, the universe said, you wanted an advanced degree in communication? How about this one? And, um... So it was um, it was very startling. It was, um, you know, I would get, like, to go up and say things to complete strangers, you know. Go up there and, you know, say something to them, and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy town. But it'd be almost like a kid pulling on a shirt, say it, say it. And when I say I hear... Um, you know, it's not like I'm hearing, hearing. I mean, when you think a thought, Richard, do you hear a voice inside your head?
0: Mm, you know. Not usually, so no. Mm-hmm.
1: I, use, I use that term mm-hmm. to describe, um, but anyway, I would approach people. It'd be unrelenting, sort of, and I would go in, and in the beginning, it was very cryptic, and I would go up to the person, uh, like people dining um Uh, And I would say, uh, you know, excuse me, and um, don't mean to interrupt your meal, but uh, I just want to say something to you. And they would, like, yes, look. And then I'd say some some cryptic thing that I was getting that I didn't even understand. I'd say, like, blue car under the trundle bed or whatever it might be. And then then the person would, like, start crying, or the people that were eating with them would look at me and look at them because, you know, and then I'd be, like, so embarrassed. I mean, I was horrified. And I'd say, okay, thank you, bye. And I would <laughs> almost ba- basically break into a run because I, I was so humiliated and – um and and a lot of times they would say wait come back or you know they and 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 what i saw over time is people understood it even though i didn't understand it and and it was meaningful to them and i had a lot of un otherworldly experiences um and what was a cryptic message turned into you know one hour two hour dialogue it a conversation like we're having and uh so and I knew, um, I knew that I couldn't be losing my mind because I couldn't get strangers to collude in my insanity. I couldn't get complete strangers, um, to authenticate this stuff. Um, and so, you know, I went through the whole motions, uh, like most people. I'm like, oh my God, I'm being possessed by the devil. What is this? Oh my gosh, you know, is this evil? Is this whatever? And I had a friend here in Santa Barbara, a lady I really loved and, um, still do. She's probably 98 now. Um, and, uh, she, she had these two priest friends that um, were priests and psychologists, and she said, I want you to talk to Father Ed and Father Pete, you know, because I was distressed. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is a gift of the Spirit, you know. Don't be worried. This is, a, you know, it's like easy for you, you know. <laughs> to say. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I talked to them, and they said, oh, you know, well, how do people respond when you approach them? And I said, "They, you know, they thank me. They're grateful. They understand, you know. And they said, so, you, you don't see ill effects? And I said, no, except for I'm, you know, scared. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, like my friend Dolores had said, these are gifts of the Spirit. And you here's how you judge them. You judge them by the fruits. If they help people, you know they're from God. And if you see any negative effects, you know that it's more sinister and stop doing it. And I'm thinking, stop doing it. I didn't even start it. But um, anyhow, it's that's 32 years ago and um, you know thousands and thousands of these exchanges and uh, and they're helpful to people because uh, they bring peace and comfort and, and not just talking to the deceased people or facilitating those kinds of connections is a very small portion of the work I do um, uh, so it's more um, this spiritual container of, I know, you know, but having done a lot of field research with a lot of people, you know, by my work, um, you know, that love continues, that uh, we go on, that uh, it is, it is, it. <clears throat> your belief structure that you have going in influences what's going to be your experience on the other side. So for Jocelyn's husband, he was a very devout Christian, um, and so he describes meeting Jesus, and, and that's what he, what awaited him. But other people, um, you know, a Buddhist surely is not going to be hugged by Jesus, but, you know, so it, it it's like in this reality, you know, what we're looking for, we're going to see, but when we Um, transition to the afterlife we have that that still is in play and but it has so much more power I want to share one quick thing I did a writing for a woman whose son was 21 and died and uh, she talks to him and uh, through me and he said you know I don't want to be one of those rockers he said you know those rockers they get there and all they want to do is sit in the rocker and watch all the people they love and this kid's off on adventures and he's always telling her about you know he's like poured down into the ice glacier i mean all kinds of crazy stuff mm-hmm. but you know whatever and uh, and but some people just want to watch their family they want to be close you know they don't uh, so everybody gets their own afterlife, you know, and, and it's evolving, like here.
0: Yeah. So it is, it is interesting how there are those who have that uh, innate ability to connect us with uh, our loved ones. I, the only connection that I have had <clears throat> to—actually, uh, there have been two. One was an audible dream. I don't remember any images with it. And it was of a dear friend who I described earlier who passed away in our home. And um, when my wife and I went on our honeymoon and we were uh, on Arran Island uh, off of the coast of uh, Ireland, uh, just off of Galway, um, it came rushing back. And the dream basically was the audible sound was of this friend's voice saying, don't say anything bad in front of Bridget." Well, we were uh, at this area called the Five Churches, and my wife calls me over, and I'm 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 at one of these altars where they have this big stone circular piece of stone that I jokingly said I, this was the first wheel that man created here. Oh, See, okay. the Irish they were the first ones to create the, uh-huh. the wheel, as uh, every nationality does that. You know, the the Russians will say we created the first wheel. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, so uh, my wife calls me over to this one tombstone that's flat on the ground. She says. You're not going to believe this. And so I walk over there. She says, read the name. And uh, I looked down at the name on the tombstone. I put my hand over my mouth and I walked away. Now, my wife's maiden name is McDonough. The tombstone read Bridget McDonough. And I just thought, wow. So I won't say a word. I'll just stay quiet. The other experience was actually a visual dream of things that I didn't do at that time. I didn't drive, and I didn't own a a white van. And I was there on the freeway, turned off into a big forest, and then it opened up onto a meadow. There was this beautiful stone house. I went in. There was my grandmother on my mother's side, who I was very close to. And she didn't say a word, but she reached out. We hugged, and it was as if to say, everything's okay. And this was years after her passing. So those are the only two. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. That's what we hope, and that's what readers are getting from this book, is to trust your experience, to trust when you feel it. You know, we're so uh, so mind-based, you know, and so, yeah. uh, you know, if I can't see it, touch it, feel it, only the five senses in the mind's the governor that says what's real and what's not real, which is why people are struggling in this time. I mean, our mind are, is having to catch up with We're all at home in our houses. You know, we're all uh, under this protective order. So, you know, the mind's like, wow, you know, the mind's always wanting to tell us what's real and what's not real, but our hearts are really the whole deal. Your grandmother, you know, any kind of intuitive place, I I think that comes from our hearts. That's a greater sensor. It can sense all kinds of things that our mind won't let us uh understand is part of is is a it's a bigger apparatus so -hmm. the mind gets threatened because what if I really realize that with my heart I can reach across to my sister in New York or whatever and and connect with her in a way that the telephone or FaceTime or Zoom will never allow me to do and so we all have that capacity, and um, I recently did an IANS talk here at our local Santa Barbara uh, chapter that's on SoundCloud. And Jocelyn and I have another IANS SoundCloud of the story up on SoundCloud through Santa Barbara IANS. But anyway, that whole thing was about this idea that the more we can open to the possibility to soften our gaze, to be the open palm, to not go, that was just grandma, I just imagined that, you know, whatever. To have ourselves know that those are real, it it brings tremendous, tremendous comfort, and they are real. Why? Who says they aren't real, you know? And they're some of the most intimate experiences we have sometimes, Mm. you know, these loving connections. With people in this life and the other life,
0: well, I and would s- with God, like yeah. you
1: were saying,
0: yeah, I would say Our too. Yeah, Jocelyn, that uh, there are no uh, uh, accidents, there are no coincidences. Matter of fact, I re- I re, uh, you know how the British they will say laboratory as opposed to laboratory, and of course they always say mm-hmm. it wrong. You know. Well, I say instead of coincidence, I say coincidence that everything is there's a reason for everything we just don't know what it is and that's the beautiful thing. And, of course, uh, there are no accidents that the three of us are here on this program today. I We also promote IONS as well. We've had uh, Barbara on a number of times to talk yeah. about this. We've had a number of people who have had near-death and out-of-body experiences. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of the things that was so gratifying to me and gave me hope as far as Christendom be- uh, beginning the process of being a little more open-minded about experiences, period, was I interviewed a fundamentalist evangelical Christian gentleman who actually induces out-of-body experiences. I says, where in the Bible does it say that? Now, I wasn't being cruel or anything. I was really seriously asking him, because he knows as well as I do, you don't do it if it ain't in the book. He says, there's no place in the book where it says you can do that stuff, but I do it anyway, because it helps me, because it serves me right now. And I thought, wow, okay, then there is still <laughs> there is still hope for the human race in that regard. But one of the things that I find so interesting is our inability as human beings on this planet. And I brought this up early in the program, too. To deal with this subject, uh, there was a beautiful documentary. I don't know if either of you have seen it. I think it was on PBS about death. And they traveled the world to film different cultures and their experiences of it one of my favorites was a tribe i think it was in central or south america and they allowed the documentary crew to come in and they began and they filmed everything that they were doing up to a point they were then asked to leave and they asked why this is because the next part of the process We let out the anger. We get very violent and so forth. And we don't, we cannot guarantee the safety of you and your crew. So they left. They honored their request for them to leave and they left. And then someone came and got them when they were finished and so forth. But I just find that interesting. Uh, I'm curious, Catherine, in your experience with the people that you deal with, as well as those on the other side that you communicate with, Um. Have we made any inroads in having a better uh, balanced, if you will, uh, attitude emotionally as well as intellectually uh, towards this inevitability well, that is just and it's not an end, really? I mean, that's what we talk about. It's not ending. It's just a transitioning.
1: Well, there are a few different things. You know, we are very blessed here in Santa Barbara, and I would say many places if they have hospice support we have tremendous support here um so i think that death is being more normalized as a way to hold it gently people are being with people as they die i mean that's the most difficult thing in italy right now is they can't you know any of us who have been with someone as they're passing you, you can feel that something's different. That is sacred space. The whole energy changes around that. So I think that, um, that yes, we are. It's more acceptable. And I also think that there's an age factor that's at work here, that the older that you get, the more you've experienced loss and you've experienced death. And so I think you build a bigger uh, container for holding that acceptance you know, um, and so I think, yes, we have, but I do think it's all very individual um, in the way people do it, and it's as natural as birth, you know, and celebrating someone, I like when we shifted from just not a funeral, but a celebration of life, even even that terminology and the way people handle it in the last, I don't know how many years, is is a testimony to that. Being as all things, you know, gratitude is a bomb. It is a salve. It is a place that warms and nurtures us. And so being grateful for what the person said because they left, but grateful for what they share and what you've you've had together. So I think there are things that are happening. Um my uh sister in law was diagnosed with lung cancer and it was her wish to die at home in our house. She was a single woman and my daughter was eight at the time and I had some friends and we said sure we can do that. We'll bring you home, got the hospital bed, did it all as she wanted and I had friends of my daughter who was in elementary school at the time that just thought I was terrible, an awful mother for exposing my child to this front row seat of death, and I said, "You know, death is part of life. You know, we're going to love her, and we're going to love her till the end." And um, I remember my daughter after this. You know, some weeks, and she was very close to her aunt. Said, "Mom, how long is it going to feel like this?" You know, she didn't really have the words to describe. And I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "You know, with Auntie Shelley." And I said, "You know." You feel this because you love Auntie Shelley, So the depth of your love is, is proportional, is directly related. If you didn't love and feel and miss Auntie Shelley, you wouldn't feel this. It's not, it just is a signal for how much love there was there. And I think that we're moving along to see that, you mm-hmm. know, but we're very youth cultured. So I think that yeah. death is the enemy. I mean, Kevin told, spent, you know, much of the portion is Kevin's own words, coaching, literally coaching Jocelyn to, how to navigate his death and how to be after. And he's like, I have no regrets. I'm fine. What you were saying earlier, you know, I know that you're feeling this and, you know... uh so, you know, now there's death doulas. There's all kinds of things being done around death. And, you know, I think that's going to be the hard part of this virus is just what you said. People are not prepared and we're not prepared to scale to, yeah. to get death on large scale.
0: I have, a, our I have a question for you, Jocelyn, in just a moment, but uh, I encourage people to get a copy of the book Beyond Ever After, and the website beyondeverafter.com is the place where you can go. It is a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife, and uh, it's a lot of little chapters uh, put together in this wonderful little book, conversations that uh, uh, Jocelyn had with her uh, husband, Kevin, uh, during a coma that he was in, as well as... After the fact, Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, Jocelyn, was this: Uh, You say it says here that uh, uh, you were writing this book with your Doverman Pinscher and German Shepherd by your side, and I am curious as to their response, their reaction, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to Kevin's passing. Did they? I'm curious as to whether or not uh, and I know Kath Catherine can confirm uh, this or uh, expound on this too but I want your your comments first were they aware of his presence after his physical passing uh did they do you think that they may have seen him because I know animals they I think can see on both sides of the veil you know i don't I don't know um the
1: the both the dogs at the time um, were very young, uh, like six or seven months old. And um, in fact, when we got we got the dogs, and then my husband got sick, and so from three to six months, they were just basically here home alone when I was at UCLA with someone who was house sitting. And so I don't know that they had enough of a relationship really to miss to notice it when he was gone, or to see him after the fact, because they were pretty young when we he was they were just a few months old when he got sick. Ah,
0: okay. Um, So, uh, Catherine, that is something that I have heard about. Um, I know that when uh, I had to put down my beloved uh, white, uh, all white shepherd husky mix, uh, Makushla, um, back in October of 2018, Um, we did it right there in the home with our other dog that she raised from eight weeks. Uh, she didn't give birth, but we, we brought him into our home. He was He's now a 120-pound black king shepherd. His name is Angus.
1: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and we
0: have five cats, and they came over and paid their respects. I remember one of them, Tess, who is a black and white tuxedo kitty, she came over and nuzzled with her. My uh, special kitty, Ryan, came over, laid down next to her, and this was before the process began. Uh, but uh, we, my wife and I both felt so strongly. That's why I felt so wonderful about that story you just told, Catherine, about the, your experiences with children and being involved. I wanted to make sure after experiences we'd had in Phoenix with taking the dogs uh, to the vet to have them uh, dispatched that the dogs left at home went nuts. They went nuts. I said, we're not doing this again. The next time we do this, it's going to be done in the house because the animals need to know what's going on. They need to experience it. They need to see it. So they know that uh, they know what happened because when we take the dogs out of the house, and it's just like human beings children don't know well where's grandma going where's aunt lily going and so on and so forth and then they don't come back there's absolutely no point of reference and i would venture that as as they grow up into adulthood there's got to be some psychological something that that they've then created oh maybe it was my fault that they went away and never came back and those kinds of things can you talk a well, little well
1: and i also think that it gives a uh, when it gives us the opportunity. One thing I want to say is, yes, wonderful to be with your animal, to have your other animals, but also for us to, you know, oftentimes when people die or they lose someone, it's not only that that loss has gone and we need to model and make that more normal, which we hope our book opens up that conversation, but also that um, uh, it. I just lost my train of thought. Right. It went right out of my mind. I don't know where I was going. It was a good point, but well, I'll tell you what. I'll pick up. Susan. I'll pick up the path um,
0: and tell people. Uh, beyond Everafter the website. We are talking with the co-authors, Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanero. Uh, it is a heart to heart journey through death and the afterlife. By the way, Catherine, I'm curious. Are you familiar at all with LBL uh, Life Between Lives?
1: Um, I probably know the practitioner, well, don't know well, but a little bit. Yeah. You know, can I just, I, it came back. Oh, so go ahead, then go ahead. When you're 60, <laughs> it'll, it'll come back. You, you'll see, you're going to turn 60 in a few months. I'm already there. But it's this idea, too, when someone suffers a death, which I think, uh, or loses someone they love, their friends don't, don't know how to respond. So we're so uncomfortable with death, they don't want to say the name they may send a card and say, I'll just give them space. And so for many people, they just don't know how to talk about death, even with someone who has suffered a loss. So sometimes people who have suffered a loss, their friends and whatever, give them too much space, back away, don't want to say the name, feel like, well, if I bring him up or this memory or that memory of the person, it'll just make them sad. So I won't, So I just want to encourage your listeners to, you know, people who have lost someone, who have lost a death, even of a pet, they know the person's gone. You can say, well, Bob, I miss Bob. I, you know, because sometimes people just cease to act as if they ever were because they don't want to hurt the other person. Oh, yeah. Um And so I think the way that we can be with each other when someone suffered a death is in all that candor. You know, oh, I miss Bob. You know, I remember when we la, 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 la. Because, you know, it's just I think that we we can do a lot of work there in our death acceptance, that it also um, uh, transcends and uh, trickles down to the Ability to which we can have these conversations or just avoid it as a taboo topic if we don't talk about that. Yeah, you know? it's, and,
0: and and what's funny about that, and I say this, uh, I, I think it is humorous but also funny in a uh huh, really. We not we have trouble dealing with the process of transitioning. As much as we have trouble with the process of how people come into this world, sex, and would you have a ch- I mean, how many children are in the birthing room when mama is giving birth? Why not? So that they can see where baby brother or baby sister came from. Oh, no, because that's exposing mother to—and it's like, Really? Uh, It just, I know that there are other cultures around the world that they don't have a problem with this. And they look at us in the United States and the West and and they're going, boy, you people need to grow up. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a very, very, very interesting. We are fast approaching the end of our time together, and I can't thank the two of you enough for participating in this program. I think this is important. Uh, I think that it's important if you, listening, pick up a copy of Beyond Ever After. Go to beyondeverafter.com. It's a heart-to-heart journey through uh, death and the afterlife. Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanaro are my guests, and uh, we are most appreciative of them joining us. I'm hoping that the next time that we uh, talk, that we can actually talk face to face. I'm hoping that <laughs> at that time <laughs> uh, we'll be able to come have you come in studio, or right. or at the very least, this would still be doable. Grab three uh, uh, three chairs, go out to the beach, grab my recording devices. <laughs> we'll we'll have the proper distance between us, <laughs> and have a wonderful time out there uh, conversing more about this subject right. because. Uh, This is something that, that again, I feel very strongly about. Uh, I'm going to go through it someday. I'm hoping way down the line um, because I want to see some of the changes that our society, our civilization is going to go through in the next 20, 30 years. Uh, maybe because of this this current virus, maybe Mother Nature is saying time to change, uh, and right. and we don't have any choice anymore. I mean, I've all, I, I, one of our slogans is giving people choices and knowledge of those choices. Well, Mother Nature is now giving us the choice: you either adapt, right. or you can you can get off the globe, and that's your choice. Right. Uh, matter of fact, that's one final thing I want to ask you, um, Kath, uh, Catherine. The medical community has a really hard time of knowing when to say when. Do you see that many people on the other side um, who maybe went through that kind of a process with their physicians through the process, and certainly, Jocelyn, I'd love your input as well as regarding Kevin, um, that there has to come a point when the patient, in essence, is saying uncle, and the doctor finally listens and saying Okay, we're, you know, and forget about the what is it, the DNR or whatever it is. Um, just we we show more compassion to our animals.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But but you know. I think that that I think that's why the DNR is important though, because mm-hmm. I've dealt with so many families that have to had make those difficult choices, whether they realize it or the physician said this is it. Mm-hmm. And even now, even at this time, the hardest, hardest thing for someone to de- to deal with is having to take somebody off a ventilator. Yeah. So we all can make our choices, and we do our families a big, fat favor, and especially now, especially now, to say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, and then their family to respect their wishes. Mm-hmm. Because if you have to watch your loved one suffer you know people say i'm not going to kill them so i think it is a pivotal time for that but yes i do understand what you're saying about and i think having that discussion i'm okay yeah. with dying i'm yeah. i this is what i want um and and i think that maybe this time is another way to push us into having those more difficult yeah. conversations and when these numbers rise and they will we are going to have to face this mortality or yeah. immortality myth um, so
0: yeah Jocelyn let me get your input on this before we break before we have to wrap up
1: well you know I Kevin uh, had a, a advanced directive and it, um, it, it 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 didn't really help and the reason it didn't is because um, you know at least for uh, us for him what happened was you know things went bad incrementally and so something incrementally goes bad and they say okay this is this has gone bad this is how we fix it this has gone bad this is how we fix it and so you make these little decisions along the way and then you end up a month later like where I found myself he had a trach tube he had a feeding tube he was in a coma he would have never wanted to be like that and I wouldn't have made those If I would have had a crystal ball and it said a month, this is where he would be, then I wouldn't have agreed to all those little incremental things along the way. And so when it comes, sneaks up on you slowly, that's when it causes a problem because you just, like I said, you just fix each problem as it comes along and then you find yourself a month down the road with someone who can't talk, who can't breathe on their own, and who can't eat on their own. And you think, how did they get here? This isn't what they wanted. But also... Except for Jocelyn was in such denial she would have Right, and that's the next thing I was gonna say. Kevin from the very beginning, from the very first writing said, We if you're telling if everything you're saying through Catherine is true, and it all was we have to make an exit date here. There has to come a point where you stop the medical intervention and I and so we we went back and forth with this, like he said, "How about nine i, I said, "How about ninety days?" and he said, "How about 60? and you know we're both attorneys, and I'm saying no, and he's saying look, we need to negotiate. to and I'm like, how fun is, that was for me yeah <laughs> you know, and and it's, and it's because you you don't want to let go yeah. you know even when it's horrible and there's just this train wreck of cascade of problems, you have hope, and it's really hard to let that go. And yeah. he kept saying to me, you have got to let me go. I can't even believe I'm breathing. You know, you've got to let me go. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to do for me, and mm-hmm. I think it's hard for the doctors when they see people just like begging not to
0: go, Yeah, you know? Yeah, We only have about four or five minutes left, so what I'm going to do is um, thank the two of you for joining us here on the program and sharing your story here, Jocelyn, of Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart journey through death and af- the afterlife. BeyondEverAfter.com is the website. I have three final questions for each of you, and I'm going to flip uh, it around. Can I just... Very quickly, wait, go ahead. Uh,
1: it's on Amazon as an ebook. So don't don't worry. You can get it without touching anyone. <laughs> <laughs> go to, <laughs> go well, to Amazon. It's a it's an ebook or Kindle or. <laughs> so sorry.
0: Uh, <laughs> soon soon to, soon to be out it, as an Audible. I hope.
1: It is not yet. Well,
0: no. we'll, have we'll have to talk about I that. We'll have to talk about that because I produce yeah. them. Um. First question, and I'm going to do it in this fashion. I'll start with you, Jocelyn, and uh, then ask Catherine. Then I'll ask Catherine the second question, and then go to Jocelyn and so forth. So the first question is uh, to Jocelyn. Who is Jocelyn Montanaro?
1: <laughs> it's really funny because I'm just, I'm, I'm uh, you know what, I'm just a wife and a mother, and um, just An average person trying to uh, do a little better every day, Uh, you know.
0: Catherine, who is Um, Catherine A. Weisenberg?
1: I'm a spirit. I'm a person. I'm a human who tries to do my best to love and serve everyone I come in contact with.
0: Now, this question is to Catherine again.
1: Wait, hold on. i yes. want to change my answer to what she
0: said. <laughs> 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 okay. go ahead. Okay, fine. Uh, so, Catherine, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now?
1: For everyone to be empowered to know that they are spirit, that we are all connected, that love lives on in all realms, and that the work that I do fosters that connection and reminds people of who they already are and what they are.
0: Uh, Jocelyn, same question to you. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now?
1: I would hope that um, people now feel how I feel and know what I know, which is that death is not a failure and that when we leave this world, there's something even better on the other side, and I'm certain of that.
0: And then the final question, first to you, Jocelyn, and that is, what is your life's purpose?
1: I think it's shifted over time, and I, I mean, when I first had kids, I thought my purpose was to be a good mother, but now I think my purpose is to get this message out, Kevin always wanted to um, take a missions trip and wasn't able to do it because he was so sick. And I really feel like this book is the missions trip that he never got to take and that the messages in there can help everyone, especially in times like right now where everybody is so fearful. So the purpose of my life right now is to get this message out there.
0: And to you, Catherine, what is your life's purpose? Uh,
1: my life's My purpose is to share the gifts that I've been given, to express and be fully present, to love, and to serve all that I come in contact with and to serve God.
0: Catherine Weisenberg and Jocelyn Montanaro I thank you both for sharing with us Beyond Ever After a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife available on Amazon as well as through uh, Beyond Ever After you can certainly go there read the blogs you can also tell them your story and we encourage you to do that and I want to thank the two of you for joining us and I want to thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to